0: On this episode of Stories Behind the Grind, listen to my conversation with Michael Dunn, founder of Epic Sales Group. We discuss why not having a sales system can cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars and prevent you from growing your business, what to look for when hiring sales staff, and what the 300% rule is. My name is Aidan Vocalo, and here you will find business strategies, tips, and tactics that you can incorporate not only in your own venture, but your life to help you simplify and strategically grow, scaling up the impact you're having in this world. Listen as I talk to creators, innovators, and game changers on what it takes to build an impactful business, uncovering their insights, strategies, and tips to help you increase profitability and develop a thriving team culture. Welcome to the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. Michael, thanks so much for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. It's great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Uh, Michael, your ex-Navy grew from a single salesperson to a multi-store franchise owner, along the way building the best team in Australia and New Zealand. Tell me about the transition you made from the Navy to sales
1: yeah so like I, I actually the story there is I was I was going to stay in the Navy uh, for a period of time um, I was probably going to do my full term of 20 years but uh, one of the trips I did up to Southeast Asia I was reading uh, I was reading the self-development books and I suddenly started to realize there was there was a burning desire to be an entrepreneur even though that word wasn't really coined back then and I spoke to my, to my marine engineering officer and he actually told me that I didn't belong there, which was really bizarre. So he kind of knew that I was a bit different. So I, I planned to exit out of the Navy. And what I did was I, I actually went into real estate initially. And I took some night school and, and went into the real estate in the mid-90s. But there was quite a big uh, downturn in the market at that time. And I, I actually fairly quickly ran out of money. And then I ended up getting a, a
0: stable job at Godfrey's, which got me back on my feet. So I was, I was quite grateful at the time. Yeah. So um, I guess it's always difficult to make a transition and then to do something that initially didn't work out. How did you get yourself out of that hole to begin with, with the real estate not going the way you thought it would?
1: The funny thing is, I, I, every time that I've had one of these moments in my life where things have gone you know, seemingly very wrong. There's always, this, to me, there always seems to be something on the other side of that and it's just having that faith that you know that you know, you've got to continue and, and do what, you're, you know, what you originally set out to do. So I was actually working in a service station midnight till dawn when I was in real estate just trying to pay the bills and, and I was almost at that point where I was thinking, geez, I should go back to the Navy and the Navy would have taken me back with open arms because I was, I was a tradesman. And they were losing them hand over fist. But I just had this, I had this burning desire not to give up. And at the time I pushed through. And as I said, every time I've done that, there's always been something very significant happened to me after that. And when I got into Godfrey's, I, I actually performed very highly within a year or two, I was in the top three in New South Wales and really enjoyed that. It was a real apprenticeship for me for selling. Because the style of selling in Godfrey's was was a little bit different to normal retail. It was a bit of a direct selling model. And I learned so much from that. So so in answer to your question, I I had faith and pushed through
0: and and just realized that I couldn't go back to where I'd been before. Yeah, got it. You sort of had this this desire and this push to to keep going and, and to keep discovering sort of new opportunities. When you when yeah. you worked at Godfrey's. Did you have a natural sales ability that allowed you to climb the ranks or was it purely you just had to make it work so you did whatever you could to to get there
1: I feel like I had a I had a very good sense of how to connect with people and build rapport The the sales system that was in Godfreys was was not very well architect it didn't have very good architecture about it and later I ended up building my own sales process just out of pure frustration when I became a franchisee but I, I believe that the thing that I had was, that, you know, the coin, the phrase these days is that emotional intelligence. So I, I was able to connect with people and once they liked me, they listened to me and, and then once, once they listened to me, they would trust and buy from me. So that's probably the, the shortest way to, to answer that.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, very important in any industry to, um, to have that emotional connection with your clients or customers and to, to understand their needs and to meet them where they're at and to take them on a, on a journey.
1: I think a lot of people forget that people buy from people and that they're not buying your company or, or you know, they're buying part of it is your company and part of it is your product. But, the, you know, there's a thing called a 300% rule where, you know, 100% is your product, 100% is your company and 100% is yourself. And if you don't sell all three of those equally, you'll actually find it a lot
0: harder to get people across the line yeah definitely it's sort of a, it's a whole package that comes across. And I think it's something that a lot of startups and small business owners struggle with because it is an integral part of any business. Are there any advice that you'd have for founders who are you know on the cusp of hiring their second or third employee and are trying to get their sales to cover the staffing costs?
1: yeah i think I think the the biggest advice would be is around spending some time on looking at what your process is, and there's actually quite a lot of information on the internet about how to build a sales process. The problem with most businesses is the the ones that thrive have a structured sales process and the ones that don't, they tend to be a lot more random and, and don't have any process. So if you spend that time, it is going to be well worth the return because once you build a sales process and a sales engine, if you like, and that side of your business is sorted out, then you can easily scale the rest of your business. So we always talk about scaling sales first. And then uh, looking at products and, and all those other things. Secondly, um, sure, you have to have your products in place and your marketing in place, but there is an enormous amount of focus in the marketplace right now on on getting inbound leads through digital marketing. But the other side of it is, you know, how are you converting those leads? And uh, if you don't have a system set up properly and a, and a process with a recipe, you're always going to struggle.
0: Yeah, I guess that's the um, not having that consistent sort of flow through. And you, you know, you might get a hundred leads coming through, but if you can't, you know, if you're converting, you know, two out of a hundred, you know, this week and one out of a hundred next week, you're missing out on the consistency that can come with a that can come with a sales process or a sales system that can give you sort of tangible, repeatable results.
1: The other part of that, Aiden, is if you set up your sales process properly, you will also be looking at who your target market is, who's your buyer, you know, buyer's persona. And only, you know, staggering statistic that I found out only a week or two ago was that only 20% of businesses know their niche and their target market properly. So there are a lot of things that cross over when you, when you build a sales process is you're you're focusing on the right leads coming into the funnel. So why have a 100 leads come in when you only need 30 leads because you're spending all your time with that, those other 70 leads that might not necessarily even be your target market um, if that makes sense?
0: Yeah, I, I didn't realize that, that that number was so low in terms of how many businesses don't don't really know their niche. Do so you think that, that's because you know as founders and, um, and small business owners, there's a tendency to try to want to please everyone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that in well, in America, they say the riches are in the niches. And I think with technology these days, we have the ability to talk to people, to audiences through platforms like Facebook and social media. But we have the ability to talk directly to very specific people. And I think a lot of people, they, they don't narrow that down enough. and And if you want to be everything to everyone, then your, your message is is not going to be as strong as if you're talking to a very small amount of people. And the you know the other side of that is that you only have to have a certain amount of clients. Um, you don't need to you don't need to bring the whole world in. You only have to have a very small amount of clients at, with a product that is that is going to add immense value to them to build a very profitable business. So you don't have to be everyone to everything.
0: So are there any advice that you'd give to people to sort of narrow down their niche? Any any questions they could ask themselves to make that process a bit easier?
1: I think that again there's a lot of information online about, you know, the client profile and the and the buyer's persona and and those different areas, but I think you've just got to spend an amount of time in going through those exercises and certainly, you know, they can take quite a few like even a few days or a week to really focus in um The other side of that is maybe get a little bit of advice because when you're inside your own business, uh, you know, there's a good saying that I always use, which is you can't see the the label when you're inside the bottle. So often, if somebody comes in and talks to you about that, and that could be, you know, just a coach or or somebody else that's been around in business, um, even giving someone a call that's successful in business as well, which a lot of people are open to. If you do that, then uh, you'll find that, you know, that'll open up a lot of different insights that you, you didn't think of before and then all of a sudden you can focus on uh, who your real customers are and uh, once you make that shift, uh, your business can change dramatically.
0: Yeah, I was talking to a um a guest on the podcast earlier last year, uh, Jason Malouin, who went through, I guess, a similar process and went from servicing everybody to servicing a really, really small target market, he's managed to really sort of grow his business in that time. You know, really just targeting you know one sort of core target market. It's definitely such a valuable exercise to do.
1: It is, and and, and the goal, as I said, is 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 in really defining who that person is. And there's another saying which is uh, which is you know your target is not your market as well. So even though you go very, very you go very niche with a particular you know industry or or vertical what you'll find is other people will still come around and want to want to see what you're doing and what what value you're adding. So it doesn't necessarily always correlate to that those exact people are going to be, you know, you'll get quite a few of those people, but you'll find that other people will still be interested in what you're doing once you're putting the, the, the messages out there.
0: Mm. Yeah, you don't restrict yourself to just because you've defined a particular niche or target market to just only go after them and just to only accept them coming in.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. You know, we've, we've recently niched ourselves. You know, when we started after I built my sales process in Godfrey's, I ended up going, you know, right up to number one in the group. And it surprised me just having a sales process, uh, you know, good sales people and a sales culture, how those three elements just exploded the business upwards and, you know, growth and the ability for me to have, have more freedom was, was so significant. And then when I decided to exit those businesses, I, I coached a number of franchisees and I found that actually one of the problems that they had or well, they thought they had was that they couldn't get salespeople. That's where I went out and, and founded Epic in, in uh, 2016 because I felt like there was a gap in the market for hiring salespeople at the time and that a lot of the recruiting companies were not really servicing that, that idea properly and that a lot of them were what I call human trafficking and that's not all recruiters, by the way, but, but a good number of them had been doing this over a period of time and getting away with it. So so when we set up Epic, we felt like the original problem was that you couldn't find salespeople, they were hard to hire, and they were hard to keep. We That was the first, you know, that was the big three problems that you'll hear a lot of businesses talk about. And then after a period of time, we realized that actually wasn't really the problem, it was part of the problem. But the underlying problem was that most businesses just did not have a proper sales process or a proper sales environment to plug those sales people into. And so after a couple of years of building over 30 sales teams, we saw this huge need because we were we were doing consulting anyway for these businesses. And we were helping them with you know doing onboarding plans and all these different assets that they didn't have. And then we started to realise that some of these salespeople, they just weren't thriving. They were good salespeople, but they were putting into poor environments and they just weren't surviving. And they ended up, failing, not because of, of themselves, but because of the business wasn't supporting them. And it really opened my eyes up. And again, this is the, the answer to your question, was that, that the niche that we thought we were going down, which was hiring salespeople, wasn't actually the, the, the cause of the problem. So we then went uh, a bit deeper and niched further. And now we prepare businesses for, for sales process and for, for hiring salespeople.
0: Yeah, which is such a valuable thing to do in, in any business. Really, is to have a, a systematic, rigorous sales process that you can follow through, that you can continually sort of test and adapt and update as needed, to then get the you know those consistent results and the business and um, for their clients as well. Absolutely, so
1: and the number one failing in businesses is that. You know, if you don't get sales, you, you don't have cash, and if you don't have cash, you, cash is oxygen, and you'll and you will fail. So, so once you've built out that that sales engine, and you can um, automate that sales engine, that solves a whole lot of problems that most businesses have, and that's why it surprises me still to this day why a lot of businesses don't focus on that actual engine or that process and. Well, I actually call it a sales operating system. It, it needs to be installed in your business and that becomes a duplicable process that either yourself as a founder or a leader does or more, or as you, as you grow, then you start to bring on a sales team. But even saying that, if, if you build a, a great enough sales process, you can hire someone who doesn't necessarily have a lot of uh, sales skills. Um, if, if they've got the right attitude and the right drive, and they can very quickly come up to speed and they don't cost you as much money as, as a salesperson who who demands a, uh, a large salary and uh, and then becomes a, a bit of a dominant black box in your business.
0: Yeah, I, I can imagine having that, that dominant black box in your business through a salesperson is quite a common sort of scenario for businesses. Hiring someone, especially when the founder CEO doesn't have those inbuilt sales abilities to hire someone else to take... That load off them, and they not really understand what they're doing, or um, you know how how they're generating results, and then having to rely on this salesperson sort of lean on them too much in a sense.
1: Correct. You're setting yourself up for for a lot of risk because if that person ends up leaving, then they take an enormous amount of thing out out of your business. And the best way to look at this is that you want to be managing a system, a sales operating system. You don't want to be managing a salesperson. And once you set that system up and it has all the, all the KPIs, all the milestones, all the measurements and all the conversion points, then it's, it's very easy to see whether they're performing or not. And if they're doing the actions and they're getting results that are already proven versus having someone that's just sort of saying, Oh, this, this may or may not be working. I'm not sure. And then they're questioning your, your system all the time and they're trying to build the system then you're setting yourself up for a very confusing and and harrowing time because I know this personally when I was in the early stages of my business I spent two decades in those franchises and the first 10 years was very very haphazard and very confusing and you know I didn't have a very good sales process I had a very poor way of bringing people in and supporting them and I wore the brunt of that as a as a founder because I spent most of the time selling and and it cost me quite a lot of freedom so uh, so there's two ways to look at this you, you build this system out it takes a bit of time but it's going to give you a lot more freedom in the long run and also uh, the ability for, for your
0: business to grow and scale yeah definitely it's always important to have that sort of rigorous system and then you can sort of rely on on a system and a system you know doesn't leave the business in a sense it's always there you've plugged that hole already
1: and the thing about that that particular system
0: the sales operating
1: system is the most mission critical asset that you can build in your business and even though you've built that system, that the next phase of that, and this is where a lot of people don't understand, is you've got to evolve that system. So you you need to be you need to be looking at it constantly and, and seeing how you can iterate different areas of it. How can you introduce new insights? How can you introduce new statistics from your marketplace? New stories, um, new testimonials, all these different things. A, a sales process, you know, should be changing from even month to month or quarter to quarter, and bringing in new technology because of, you know the growth in technology at the moment is just exploding everywhere, and there are so many things that can leverage and ratchet you out of different areas of your business. That's what I, you know, that's what I encourage people to do is really build that system and that sales operating process, and then once you've done it, continue to evolve it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely definitely very valuable to um. To, to, not, to not have it as I said and forget, You know, I've got a system, it's fine and I don't need to change it. It's definitely something that, like you said, sort of continually evolves and adapts over time. I guess, what would your recommendation be to, to adapt it? Do you start looking at the pieces that are breaking um, in that process or, or do you look at the things that are doing well and, and find ways to improve those even more?
1: I think you've got to spend time on, on educating yourself as a founder in this area uh, there's no point in, in in avoiding this. It's not about becoming a salesperson because if you set up a sales system or a, a buying process that is very elegant, the buying experience, which is what you should be focusing on, uh, should be very seamless. They should be going from one step to the next step to the next step, and there shouldn't be there shouldn't be a lot of pressure on the buyer. That the buyer should be getting a good education and at certain points, they they choose whether they're going to the next step or not. And once you've set up a system like that, you don't have to stress about teaching yourself how to sell. Um, it's not it's not a case of that because the system itself will actually allow these people to go through. And if they're the right person, they will come on board. And if they're not the right person, you'll identify that as early as possible. And, you know, you Set them free and 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 spend time with the people that you need to spend. So, as I said, a really worthwhile investment is getting that that sales operating system up and running.
0: Sure, I just I just want to touch a little bit more on the um, so once you've got obviously once you've got a sales system in place, um, and then you can start hiring people to start to use the system effectively. What yeah. characteristics do you find that A players in sales have?
1: So, when you say A players, the A players. In the marketplace are about six percent of, of salespeople. So so very, very small amount of people. There's there's a couple of things about A players. You'll you'll definitely get good results out of an A player. The other side of an A player is that they tend to be entrepreneurial. So they, they could be a little bit like you and I. So as to to how long they they stay in your business is is debatable. The B player is probably the better bet. Because the B player, as I said, if, you, if your sales operating system is set up very well, they'll plug into that very easily. So a B player is someone that can meet quota and above, and they're really the, uh, the engine room of, of all the small businesses. So it's great to get an A player, but, but I wouldn't focus on it totally um, because don't forget they're only 6% and they're in absolute demand. But, and they tend to. They also tend to dictate a. Um, you know, they want a higher package to to live off it as well. So, so I wouldn't get too caught up in the A player side of it. And but in attracting salespeople in general, I think you just need to. Again, you need to set up a process that is uh, a little bit more than just you know a few interviews and you know a small. Uh, you might do a psychometric assessment, which is basically the conscious mind. But when you when you're going into salespeople, you need to go under the hood, you need to go into the subconscious. So you need to find evaluations that deal with the subconscious. and because that's seventy to eighty percent of what we do is is driven off the subconscious. And so when you when you're looking at those particular evaluations, that's what I do. So the real core is what is their DNA? What is their attitude? And if they've got the the commitment and the desire and, and all those different areas, which can be tested, by the way, there are evaluations that can test those, particularly with selling, then the easiest way is to, uh, is to hire off of those and not always the skills and the experience because there are a lot of experienced salespeople that bring a lot of baggage into your organisation. And uh, sometimes it's easier to bring someone in that's That doesn't have all that baggage. And once you plug them into that sales operating system, you've got someone there for a lot, uh, you know, for
0: a lot longer as well. Yeah, and I think it speaks volumes then about having that sales operating system in place that then you can, you, you know, you can definitely leverage other people to come in that are almost guaranteed to stay with your business longer, use the system as it was designed and help grow with the company.
1: Correct, correct. And as I said, it's
0: about managing that system
1: over managing the salespeople because when a salesperson comes on board, one of the areas that one of the greatest, you know, areas that people fail in as a small business is they don't ramp them up properly. They don't have an onboarding program, but then it goes back one step further, which is they don't really have a system that they're plugging that person into. So, so then it becomes nebulous and it becomes, you know, is that person working out? Is that person not working out? And then, you know, you go for another six months and then one day you wake up and you've got to let them go. But that can cost you five and six figures if you do that versus just sitting down and, and building that process and that, that operating system and then having the ability to have that person come in and build the expectations from the start and say, you know, this is, this is the onboarding program, this is the training, you know, these are the skills that we need you to learn. These are the milestones, what this is what success looks like over a you know 30, 60, 90, 120 day period. And then it becomes binary as to whether they're taking those actions and getting those results or not.
0: Yeah, it's a lot easier to then performance review if need be as well and, and to have those KPIs built in. It's easier to look at the data as opposed to go with the gut feel. Exactly. And that and
1: that those conversations become a hell of a lot easier when you've got that system behind you and, and you can say, you know, this is what you meant to do. This is not what you're doing. You know, how do we fix this? And if we can't fix this, then then we need to let you go, and and you have an an opportunity somewhere else. And it's as simple as that. But far too many businesses don't do
0: this in the first instance, and they pay a very very big price for that. Yeah, like you said, five five to six figures, and and possibly more if it's an ongoing problem, and. You don't learn the lesson and you keep hiring, you know, salespeople to fill to fill a gap where where a system is really needed. Final question for the that I'd like to ask all guests is what's your definition of the grind?
1: My my definition is is about how you frame the grind or you know, how you frame that place you go to where you've got to work really hard to achieve something. And and I've kind of reframed it lately as as a place that I really want to be, because every time I go into that place. I end up with extraordinary outcomes, even though it feels really tough. Um, you know, if you're working Sundays or weekends or nights or whatever it is to to build your dream. But what happens is, for me, is I, I link that the grind to a special place now. And and you know, the saying, the obstacle is the way. You know, if, if you're getting if you're getting plenty of uh, obstacles, then you're actually heading in the right direction. And 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 I think at the core of it, nothing is really worth doing without without grinding in the first place
0: love it so it's almost like you know lean into those difficulties take those challenges on board and if it's you know if it's the easy road then then look elsewhere in a sense
1: absolutely and when i think about everything i do in my life every time i take the easy road and i want to be comfortable and i'm you know i'm watching you know tv or different things it's it's kind of cool for a little while but you have to understand that the best way to to get something done is to go through a, a challenging process first. And once you accept that, it becomes actually kind of fun after a while.
0: Yeah, it's almost, I'm not going to say easier, but it, it's definitely more enjoyable once you, at least for, from my experience anyway, going through some, some difficult challenges. Once you come out of those challenges and you realise the, the mini transformations that you go on, it then almost becomes, becomes a game. In a sense, to go okay. Well, what what challenges do I have? What am I facing at the moment, and and what what do I need to to do or be to to get over them? Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree with that, Michael. Where can people find more about yourself and Epic Sales Group if they want to learn more about how to you know implement a sales process in their business?
1: Yeah, so we're we're building a new website which should be out shortly. That's uh, epicsales.global. Global, and uh, if anyone else wants to reach out, I'm on LinkedIn fairly actively. And also you could just you can email me at, at Michael at epicsalesgroup.com.au if, if anyone's got any questions, I'm happy to uh, happy to answer them.
0: No worries. Michael, thanks again for your time on the podcast. It was great to hear your um, hear your perspectives on 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 sales and and what business founders can do to um, to make that process a lot easier. Thank you, Aiden. I appreciate the opportunity. If this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, I appreciate you for stopping by. Please subscribe. Otherwise, if you took away valuable advice from this episode, I'd love for you to share it with others. Until next time.